You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. We're grateful for the Rogers family reading scripture today. Today we're glad that you're joining with us. Our number one thing that we want for you today is to feel the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. You are alone. This is a discouraging year. And we want you to feel the great love that is in the family of God. And so welcome, welcome, welcome. Keep your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 6. Will you do that with me in the moments to come? And if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, there's a black book in front of you. Page 1163 is where we'll be in the moments to come. By the way, just a reminder, we are still doing our midweek Facebook service. So if you're not able to be here uh, for services and you want to watch online, if you are able to be here on Sundays, This is a great opportunity. You don't have to have Facebook to participate in this. A link is being emailed to you. Check your junk mail folder and check the website. We are experiencing online issues today. They seem to switch the link for us at their desire and they give us no forewarning how we love technology. Speaking of spiritual warfare, do you see that, what I did right there? The jokes don't get better. I don't know if you're waiting on better ones. (laughs) Today we continue our series on spiritual warfare. And I want to invite you to stay right here because as we think about spiritual warfare, it's a conflict that we've not seen in any of our wars. It's unlike that because Christianity teaches that on one level there's human good and there's human evil, but on another level there's supernatural good, there's supernatural evil. And behind what we see by flesh and blood there's an angelic conflict. There is a spiritual conflict that's in present. Now, spiritual warfare is the mother of all wars. Supersedes anything that we've seen, whether it's the Civil War with the bloodbath there, Vietnam, Iraq, the Axis and the Allied powers. It is the spiritual warfare is this. Spiritual warfare is the mother of all battles. In fact, there's not a foxhole, there's not a bunker that you can go to. This spiritual conflict impacts every area of your life and it impacts every single person there's not a boy or a girl or a man or a woman who can escape this conflict there's no place to run there's no place to hide and the battle again is known as what's called spiritual warfare paul would write in prisons insightful peace in the book of second timothy the end of his life many think these were his last words on his deathbed. He wrote these words, I have fought the good fight. Here is one of the most successful men to have ever lived, and at the conclusion of his life, he refers to life as a battle. Now, you may be in American comfort and living the American dream with prosperity. Pastor, I love the Lord Jesus, but I don't feel any conflict. I don't feel any warfare. Listen carefully. If you're near the captain of your salvation, darts are going to be fired at you. If you're not feeling darts, maybe you have left the captain of your salvation, and it's time today to return, repent, and get close to him again. Would you do this for me? Would you just hold up the little two right here for me? Everybody in God's house do this. I'm not asking you to run a marathon. I'm not asking you to hold your breath. Just hold up two. That two is to remind each and every one of us, if we're believers, we're engaged in two battles in our lives. The first battle is we are born addicted to sin and born an enemy of God. 
But the moment, keep holding them up, it's a a teaching mechanism. And the moment we surrender to God at the cross of Jesus is the moment Satan declares war on us. The moment we experience peace with God is the moment that there's a target on our back, Satan's coming after us. Go ahead and lower your hand. Thank you so much. You and I are engaged in two battles if you're a believer. Now look at me for just a moment. Who are you fighting today? Are you fighting God? If you're fighting God, this is a great day to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to experience his peace. Or are you fighting Satan? You're fighting one of those two. You're fighting one of those two. And today, we want you to experience the peace that comes, the hope, the love that comes from finding Jesus Christ. So here we are, this battle between light and darkness, good and evil, between heaven and hell. I want to show you two levels of conflict in Ephesians chapter 6. The first is we're to assess the enemy. We're to assess the enemy. Look again at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 where the Bible says this. Look at it. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In fact, everything that we're looking at today is devoted to the words found in verse 14 where the word of God says we're to put on the belt of truth. We're to embrace an honesty. Now, if we're going to assess the enemy, if we're going to look at the schemes of the devil, what kind of individual, what are the tactics of our opponent? You know, when I played basketball years ago, one of the most elementary strategies that a coach would teach his players is to examine the opponent. And again, the most elementary, is your opponent right-handed or left-handed? If like most opponents are going to be right-handed, then you push them toward their weak hand. You make them dribble. You make them shoot with the hand that they've practiced least with. Now, if a coach and a player can pick that up on a silly game, certainly we can find out the schemes of Satan. What are his schemes? Well, the Bible tells us that Satan loves to deceive. He loves, loves, loves to deceive. Loves it. In fact, listen carefully. Watch this. These next three or four sentences might be just for you. Satan will work decades to spring a trap on you. He's extremely patient. He will work decades, if not centuries. There may be a ploy that he's going to spring this week that he began with your great-grandparents and moving through the family generations. He's extremely patient. He's zillions of years old. Is there such a word as zillions? There should be if there's not. He's patient. He's crafty. He is extremely deceptive. And he's watching carefully. To use another athletic metaphor we used a week ago, if a football coach in a high school level will watch 20 to 25 hours of opponent game tape on average a week, how many hours is Satan watching on you. He knows your triggers. He knows your personality. He knows how to turn your crank. And he is so deceptive. Look again with me now. We're going to keep in Ephesians 6, but look at 2 Corinthians 11, 14. should appear on our screens for us. The Bible, the same author who wrote Ephesians, says these words, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's not going to come to you looking evil. He's going to deceive. 
He is patient, and he is carefully deceptive. Let me say this. I just want you to hear this carefully. He loves, loves, loves to deceive. Remember what Jesus said? Look in John chapter 8, verse 44. You'll see on the screen. Let me paraphrase it for you. Jesus said, if Satan's lips are moving, he's lying. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. For he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Now, there's a couple ways that Satan loves to lie. These are historically true. His first angle of deception is this. He will make you think his power is greater than it is. The first lie, the first deception, he'll come at us and make his power look greater than his power truly is. You can think of this by watching those nature documentaries where the animal puffs his wings up or puffs his body up to make himself look strong. Satan will do this to put you in fear. That is a common tactic, but it's not his favorite. That's not his go-to move. His go-to move in our day is not to make him think, you think that he's greater than he is. His go-to move in this era is to make you think he's less than he is. You underestimate him. You filter out supernatural evil. If you and I were to be picked up and put in an animistic tribe someplace where technology and education are little, we could perhaps understand more of the supernatural evil. But he's got America in just a perfect place. All this technological progress and all this stuff where it's about education and everybody thinks it's neutral. He loves to camouflage his work. He loves to bait his hook. Think about that for just a minute. Anybody in the room that loves to fish? Anybody foolish enough to just put a brass hook in the water all by itself? Nobody does that, do they? You bait your hook. If a fisherman or a fisherwoman can figure out how to bait a hook, do you think Satan in his craftiness is going to throw a brass hook in the water for you so you'll just gobble it up? He will deceive you. He will lie to you. That's why God calls upon us in verse 14 to wear the belt of truth. The Bible says in verse 11 of chapter 6 again, you and I are to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? Again, we're assessing our enemy here. Well, notice in verse 12, notice the Bible doesn't say this. We do not wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Watch carefully but we wrestle against Satan. Verse 12 doesn't say that, does it? It's much more nuanced than that because it shows the array of evil. See what it says? We wrestle against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness. I had two favorite subjects in school, P.E. and lunch. And P.E., I absolutely loved dodgeball. You remember dodgeball? You'd line up. The ball would be sort of in a neutral zone, and an opposite a team would line up against you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is what we do back in school. Those big old boys, we'd line up against some small girl right there. We wouldn't line up against the greatest athlete on the opposing team. When you have that moment right before the whistle blows, and the balls begin flying when you're looking at the enemy. That's what verse 12 is. Verse 12 is not showing you the hierarchy of evil. It's showing you the wide array of the opponent. 
I grew up in a hick, hick school. We barely had a water fountain. And many times we were already defeated when the opposing team came out and they looked tall or strong or they had great uniforms on. We were defeated just by looking across the court. Verse 12, the enemy, God wants you to know the enemy is strong. Here, listen carefully. The enemy, the enemy is not God. He doesn't have the omnis. Remember I said this a week ago? He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. Every Christian worth their salt ought to know the three omnis about God. Satan is not everywhere. He doesn't know everything. And he's not all-knowing. Don't think that Satan is God. But don't think Satan is you either. Don't underestimate him. He's got more horsepower than you've got. If you think you're going to come at him with what you've got armed, you are a fool, my friend. He loves to deceive. Now, verse 12, what's going on there? Who are these creatures? Who are our foes? Well, the Bible teaches this, 2 Peter chapter 2. You might want to write that down. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, God, God knows how to judge. He's the greatest judge in all the universe. How do we know he's a good judge? Verse 4, 2 Peter 2 says, because when the demons fell, he keeps them in chains in Hades, in hell. He's a good judge. So evidently, angels fell. That's what 2 Peter 2 is teaching us. And he keeps them there. In fact, the Bible goes on. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. To go further than that, you might want to check this out later this afternoon. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, it's speaking of a human king, but each of these has to do with Satan. He's behind it, and Satan says this, I will ascend to the Most High. I will be the one on the throne. You know what Satan, Lucifer's chief sin was? He looked out for number one, arrogance, pride, ego. And so as he does this, the Bible says he falls. God kicks him out of heaven. This is before Adam and Eve. We don't have a date on the calendar for this. This is before anything was made, evidently. And so as all this happens, there becomes this supernatural conflict. Satan is cast out. And so in verse 12, Paul's unpacking the wide array of evil that's in front of us. He's showing us, like that dodgeball team as we look across, he's showing us our opponent. It's not just Satan. It is rulers and authorities. In fact, that little word right there in verse 12, where it says cosmic powers, it's a compound Greek word. It speaks of cosmic tyrants. Cosmic tyrants. We have a formidable, formidable, opponent in front of us. We're to know his schemes. How do we know that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. You'll find this on the screen. The Word of God says this. Look at the back end. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, same author of Ephesians, same guy, Paul, for we are not ignorant of his designs. If you're ignorant of his designs, then you will fall. Now, where is spiritual warfare happening? Let's go back up to the front end of what he's writing here in verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I forgive. He's speaking to an assembly of believers there in Corinth. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. 
Spiritual warfare, look, look where the scene of a spiritual warfare is. It's in the church, it's in the home, and it's about forgiveness. Look at me for just a moment. Look right here. Is Satan winning in your house? Is Satan winning in your neighborhood? Is Satan winning in your neighborhood, in your, in your family, in your marriage, because there's a lack of forgiveness? In the name of Jesus, stand up, take a stand, and forgive. Every believer in Jesus Christ is commanded to forgive. But, Pastor, you don't know what they did against me. Do I need to tell you what you did against Jesus? And he sent his son to die for you. Well, I've gone to meddling now. These are the schemes of Satan. He's scheming. He's manipulative. He's lying. In fact, we continue 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, look what he does, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This goes hand in hand with Jesus' statement in John chapter 8 that Satan is a liar, that Satan is a lover of deception. You're not going to know you're involved in evil. If you're naive, if you're new at this, you're not going to know that you're involved in evil until evil has accomplished its purposes. That's why your lives, teenagers, are so important. That's why the lives of these children, these young adults are so important. Some of us have walked with Jesus. I'm not, I don't have a graduate degree in this. Some of us have walked with Jesus enough. We've seen this coming. He's got us the first time through. And that's why your elderly, godly generation is so important. One method that he, listen, one method he loves to deceive you is so that you would overestimate his powers. Another way he would love to deceive you so that you underestimate his powers. One way he will make you cower in fear. And another way he'll make you dismiss him. You won't give him a second thought. The complexity of evil, the camouflage, the deceptive nature of evil. I think about this, I think about the city of Chicago. It's underreported in the media. 3,700 people were shot in the city of Chicago. 2019, 1,100 murders. One weekend alone in the city of Chicago, south and west side, 37 shootings, 11 people died in a weekend. A weekend. It's unbelievable. So what do we do with that? Well, one group comes along and says it's a lack of education. It's racism. It's gun violence. Another group comes along. We've got to have better schools. All that's true on some level. But if you only think you're going to solve Chicago by those issues, you've underestimated the complexity of evil. There is a supernatural source of evil. And Satan and his demons will run to cities like that. And he'll exaggerate and he'll divide and he'll bring the racism. Evil is not one-dimensional. Take it you on your personal level. Your problems are not only psychological, they're not only physiological. You think your issues have to do with who raised you and what's in your DNA and your hormones and all those type things? May I say to you, Satan is duping us. He's at work in all this. There is a thing called spiritual temptation. And when it becomes easier for you to succumb to him, it's ingrained evil. And at times, it will exaggerate itself even into illness. Friend, this battle is real. Just because it's invisible does not mean it's not real. This is real. 
You may not have bullets whizzing by your ear, and you may not have bombs dropped in our city, but this is a battle for your home. Mama and Daddy, wake up. He wants your home. This is a battle for your head. The Bible says take every thought captive for Christ. And this is a battle for your heart. He would love to leave you in depression and despair. That's his end game. Just because the war is invisible does not mean it's not real. You are to assess the enemy, verse 11, know his scheme. Secondly, you're to take a stand. You're to take a stand. Look again in verse 11. You're to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand against. Take a stand. The Bible wants believers in Jesus Christ to pour our feet in cement and have moral fiber, to have steel inside our spine. In fact, I want you to see the emphasis of this. You're going to see this on the screen. It's the same passage you have in front of you, but look at it carefully, the words in bold. Look at the repetition here. First in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against. And then in verse 13, you may be able to withstand. And then again in verse 13 and 14, to stand and one more time stand therefore. Four times in three to four verses, God is calling on you to take a stand, to stand up. You are to stand and repulse evil. I love the story that Stuart Pendle showed me earlier this week. Former chief of staff to our president and the first Marine Division Deputy Commander John Kelly shared an incredible story about two Marines. Some 10 years ago on the 13th of November in 2010, Corporal Jonathan Yale and Lance Corporal Jordan Harder, 22 and 20 years of age. They were given a command in Iraq in a city that Al-Qaeda had just recently relinquished due to the onslaught of the American forces. They were given a command to stand outside of the barracks of some 50 Marines and 100 Iraqi police. Their command was to stand this post, allow no unauthorized personnel or vehicles to pass. Within minutes after the commander had given them, these two young men, this command, a large blue truck made its way at an increasingly fast rate of speed. It would serpentine through the F, serpentine F concrete jersey walls in a matter of six seconds from the moment it was seen, it would blow itself up with 2,000 pounds of ordnance. That's what the military experts, the American military experts, 2,000 pounds. It would reverberate and crash everything around there, including a mosque 100 yards away. But what you need to know is about the incredible bravery of these two young men. These two young men were investigated so that they could earn the Navy Cross. One was a black man, one was a white man. And in the investigation, they discovered that no American personnel saw it, only the Iraqis, and their testimony, every one of those policemen were the same. And then upon later discovery, they found a videotape. And I want to use the words of John himself. He said, in the instantaneous violence, Yale and Hartner never hesitated. By all reports and confirmed 
by video reporting, they never stepped back. They never even started to step aside. They never shifted their weight. When that enemy truck full of a demon-possessed man came at them, they lifted their guns and they sprayed it with one bullet after another. And those two men died so that 50 Marines and 100 Iraqis could live. How important is it you take a stand? It's something powerful that happens. I've seen in my lifetime when one person takes a stand against what is wrong, works almost like a wave in a sports arena. No, this isn't right. We can't do this. This was begun in the early 1970s and late 1960s by our Catholic friends. We evangelicals did not understand abortion when it became legal. And it took men and women to stand. And we need to stand today against evil. God is calling upon us to do that. It's incredible, the book of Ephesians. In fact, two chapters before our chapter in chapter 6, look at chapter 4, verse 27 with me. You'll find these six words. God commands you, Ephesians 4, 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. Well, how do I do that? Let me give you four common lies, four common deceptive lies that Satan loves to defeat us. Here's the first. The first common lie is we all get our own truth. We all get our own truth. I've got a circle, you've got a square, but it's the same thing. All God's people said, come on. That's not right. We don't get our own truth. See, if we all get our own truth, then there is no such thing as truth. Let's go back to the scripture because Jesus himself said, I am the truth. There is such thing as truth. That's why we go to the video to see things today. The Bible says there in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, speaking of this idea that we all get our own truth, we're to put away falsehood. Each one of us is to speak the truth with our neighbor, for we are members one another. Demonic forces will do everything possible to get us to lie. If you want to find out yourself one day under the influence of demonic forces, listen to me carefully. If you want to wake up 10 years from now, 10 months from now, under the influence of demonic forces, lie today and do so with increasing frequency. And you'll open yourself up for all kinds of evil. I have a statement that frequently happens when people are trying to cover things up. It's not original with me. Turn the light on. The only thing running is the cockroaches in the dark. Bring it out in the open. Let's have some transparency. This is exactly what's happening here. The Bible says we get this all of our, this common life. We all get our own truth. Secondly, I cannot share the truth with my spouse. We're just going to watch how this impacts families. Husbands and wives, he is targeting your family. He is targeting your family. And when this happens, like those two Marines that stood outside so that it would protect 50 Americans and 100 Iraqis, when he can take one of you and get you to lie, then he's going to collapse the two of you in on one another. You've got to speak the truth to one another. The Bible says in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, 
speaking the truth in love. There's some of you in this room, you are really good at speaking the truth, but you're like a sawed-off shotgun with a hair trigger. Nobody wants to get around you because you're all truth. You're to speak the truth in love. We don't need any saccharine, sweet, you know, grandmas here that just say everything's fine. No, you got to speak the truth in love. When we begin to lie to one another, the marriage begins to collapse. Here's the third. I cannot share the truth with my family. Again, these are common lies. We all get our own truth. We cannot share truth with our spouse. We cannot share truth with our family. Your family is so important to Satan. He would love to capture your family. And there's a lot of POWs in this conflict. There's a lot of prisoners of war in this conflict today. See, what happens if he can get your children, then he's likely to get your children's children. And he can win over many and multiple generations. Daddy, you need to have fiber and steel and have moral integrity. It's not just about your family today, it's about your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You've got to speak truth. You've got to embrace truth so that the next generation has a track record of this. And here's the last. I cannot share truth with my church. If Satan loves to target the family, he loves to target a church. What he would love to do is divide us so that we discriminate against one another. He would love to divide us among classes, among the rich and the poor. He would love to divide us so there's disunity and racism in the body of Christ. Because one of the most powerful things is when God's people have all their arrows pointing in the same direction towards truth. And we're aligned under the banner of Jesus Christ. We can be powerful force of good in the 76180 zip code when we have unity around Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're to put on the belt of truth. We're to stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We're to run to the truth. Satan will lie to us. He will tempt you by saying, what you are thinking about doing, you'll get over it. They'll get over it. It's no big deal. You could always repent. Everybody's doing it. And he's got a toehold. He's put a Trojan horse into your heart, in your life. Don't allow Satan to have a foothold in your personal life or in this church's life. I was reminded of this and the difficulty of coming against evil. Several years ago in the, when we lived in Arkansas, my wife had a, a mailbox, and there was, well, I guess we all did, but she really loved it. On the left and right of the mailbox were these planters. And we had to have flowers in these planters. Just had to have it. And she was convinced that we did not have flowers growing in the planters because there was no holes in the bottom. They poured, I don't know how many inches of concrete. So what do you do if you love your wife? You punch a hole in the concrete so that something can grow up there. In fact, it was very, very difficult. We rented a jackhammer. Have you ever seen a Baptist preacher with a jackhammer in his hand? <laughs> She gathered up the neighbors in the community to come laugh. They were, they were doubled over in laughter, slapping their knees. I've got pictures to prove it. Have you taken a sledgehammer and tried to hit a solid wall with it? 
and you come at it once and it does nothing, you come at it twice, and all you feel is it reverberating in your bones. You come at it a tenth time and you see nothing, but maybe upon the fortieth time you hit that solid wall, you see a spider crack, just little lines. In the moments to come, you can bring that wall down. Fighting evil, especially where Satan has got a foothold in your family, in your church, in your personal life, may feel a lot like taking that sledgehammer and going against that wall. You may tell the truth once, you may tell the truth 10 times or 20 times or 40 times before you finally see a spider crack. But remember, he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.